and we are live. Welcome to MicroConf on Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships. Back in March of 2020, as COVID snuck into our lives, we started doing live stream five days a week. And then over time, we realized maybe that's maybe that's overkill. Uh, for the first few weeks, that we had a lot of folks really into it. And then, of course, you know, your, your mind goes back to work and other things. And so now we do it every other week. This is actually our last uh, live stream, last microconf on air of the year. And we will be coming back after the new year. You know, this is a live stream that looks at uh, building ambitious SaaS startups where we don't ask for permission to start companies and we build and ship real products, sell to real customers who pay us real money. Today, we're announcing the Tiny Seed Syndicate. This is uh, I'm, something I'm very excited about. Um, this is probably the biggest announcement that I've been a part of since we announced Tiny Seed back uh, more than three years ago. And today we're going to talk about, um, you know, why we're doing that. We're going to talk about what a syndicate is, because a lot of folks in the, the bootstrapper microconf space probably don't know what it is, uh, know what a syndicate is, and then, you know, talk about why we're deciding to do this. We're still full steam ahead on TinySeed as an accelerator, but what we found is that there are, um, there are other needs that our accelerator is not you know, filling in this bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped SaaS space. So with that, I'm going to call my guest and TinySeed co-founder Anar Volset onto the show, and we're going to talk about stuff. Anar Volset. Hello. How's it going? What is up? What's going on? So we're talking about a syndicate. We're getting pretty good at, pretty good at this. This is our yes, third, third, third time now? Third time talking about it, yep. Um, so, you know, we had a Twitter Spaces uh, this morning, which was fun, uh, yep. but we knew that, you know, the MicroConf audience, you know, not only on the live stream, but certainly on YouTube um, after this would probably be interested in hearing about it. Yeah, and then uh, Twitter Spaces was so new to me, like five minutes before the Twitter Spaces, I was like, wait, how do I get on Twitter Spaces? Yeah, you can't do it through the through the, the web browser, not on a desktop app. You, you need the Twitter app, yeah. So we did it though, and, and it was successful. Um, yeah. And today we're talking about this Tiny Seed Investment Syndicate, which is um, on the, you know, it, it's something that's open to accredited investors. Um, and, oh, what is Tiny Seed? That's a great question. Oh yeah, so if you're in the audience, you can obviously feel free to ask any questions. That's the beauty of doing a live stream like this is you can post them in the MicroConf Connect Slack, you can post them to YouTube. But producer Xander reminded me that we should say what Tiny Seed is. Shall we start with that? Sure. Kick it over to you. All right. Yeah. Tiny Seeds basically is a, as a, it originally at least started out as a, a fund and an accelerator that invests in the very early stages of B2B SaaS. So we invest anywhere from about 120 to about $300,000. Um, and we uh, invite people into a year long remote accelerator. Uh, we currently have, uh, we were on our second fund in the US, um, where basically we run batches. I mean, we run these in batches every six months. Uh, about 15 to 20 companies, and we're just finishing uh, sort of finishing fundraising for our European cohort, and we're going to kick off a, a European batch here early next year. Yeah, so we've funded um, 59 companies to date. It'll be it'll be several hundred um, within a couple of years, yeah. and we have uh, north of 40 million dollars in funds that we are deploying to invest in early stage 
B2B SaaS companies. And it's capital efficient, bootstrapped, and mostly bootstrapped SaaS companies. Correct. And we started it. It, it, it came, I mean, the reason we're on MicroConf on air is it in, is in essence a fund that sprang out of a need that we saw in MicroConf, right? The, yep. the, there are a lot of bootstrappers who never want to raise funding, but there's a chunk. There's 20%. Ish, and I think actually, state of indie SaaS that that we just did. Xander sent me some numbers, and it's people thinking about potentially raising funding in the next twelve months was actually thirty percent. That includes friends and family rounds, um, indie funding like Tiny Seed and and other options. So the it's somewhere in there, right? It's a fifth, it's a third of people, even in the microconf and the bootstrap communities, they realize that raising funding can help get you there faster. It can help de-risk it, and it can help take some of the pain away. But it's just an option. <laughs> Microconf and startups of the rest of us, like we're still all about just giving you options and getting you there faster. Correct. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things too is like there's more different kinds of options now for for investing, uh, for for taking investment, right? So initially, people think of investment that usually is like they, they think of like Andreessen Horowitz putting ten million dollars into a company that's going to go you know balls to the wall to go to IPO, versus you know what, what we, the kind of things that we are also available are, are different things like secondary type investments. You know, investments if you're acquiring a company. You know, that sort of a thing is also an opportunity. Right. And so with the Tiny Seed Accelerator, we we do fundraising. You know, we have a maximum of 99 investors, and we raised you know whatever 28 million dollars in our last fund, and yep. then we deploy that over three years to invest in hundreds of companies. And investors have to be accredited, and they have to commit. I mean, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, usually low, usually. low six figures to, to get into the fund because we're limited by this 99 investor limit. What we started seeing is that there are th kind of three use cases that don't fit, that we are encountering that don't necessarily fit into our accelerator model. And one of them is tiny seed companies go through the accelerator and then they want to raise follow-on funding. And, uh, you know, as you were telling me, I was thinking the number was in the 20% range, but you were saying it's almost a third, like 30% yeah. of tiny seed companies, um, you know, will, will likely go on to raise follow-on funding. And for now, we, you know, we pitch it to our, our, our investors and they raise rounds, but a syndicate, which is like a just-in-time fund that pops up based on each deal, um, can be a real help to those founders if they want to, you know, raise another chunk of money. And then we're also being approached by companies that are, you know, let's say they're further along than an accelerator. They, I'm doing yeah. two, two million a year. Two million in, a year, you know. three million a year. We've heard like people and they come to us and they're like, you know, we like what you guys are doing. Tiny seed, obviously, like, you know, like this is we're further along, but we want the, the kind of investors that you have that understand, like have the similar goals to us. So so we we have that definitely coming in reasonably often and, and and up until now we've had to say listen like sorry <laughs> there's nothing we can do here like you know maybe there's one or two investors that i have in mind that are like oh you should talk to this guy but but really it makes sense that um uh, it makes sense to, to more formalize the the fact that there are investors out there uh, who are interested in this kind of deal flow and, and there are founders who are looking for for you know investments of a type that don't quite fit with a core tiny seed fund so you know for us it's either Either you're too large, or you, you want to do something different. So, like, obviously, if you're if you're coming in on the tiny seed fund, you know, you can't. The money that we give to you goes to the company. So, it goes to the company. It's for hiring. It's for growth. It's for paying yourself. You know, whatever it is. But what it's not for is just taking all the money and putting your in your bank account and 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 you know buying a house. But um, there are you know particularly later slightly later stage uh, situations where that might make sense. Right. So you say you grew a SaaS business to a million or two or five million ARR. Well, you might be 
on paper quite wealthy you know like in theory that thing is worth you know 10 million 20 million 30 million but like in your own bank account it's, it's maybe not looking so happy so so there are definitely founders out there that we hear from who are like you know i still want to keep doing this i don't want to sell it and walk away i'd like to instead just you know de-risk it in some way shake or form and say hey you know maybe i take 500,000 off the table, something like that, just to sort of smooth things over. And then I want to keep doubling down and keep going. And we hear from our investors too, that that's the kind of thing that they want exposure to. Um, and then another thing that that definitely doesn't fit tiny seed is uh, this notion of acquisition financing. So, so if you're, you know, if you have a deal, you bought a company and now you want to like, uh, you know, have offset some of the cost of what you're done and you want to like double down on growth for that. Uh, that's not something that we do for Tiny Seed, but certainly it's something that we hear that people are like, "Hey, I have this B2B SaaS business. It's, I just acquired it. It's doing this much. I'd like to sell a chunk of it and get some investors on board." Right. We don't do it with the Tiny Seed Accelerator, but the Tiny Correct, Seed Syndicate yeah. would be a use case for that. Um, yeah. We actually we have a good question. Oh yeah, so we have we have two questions already. So uh, and and Gezem, thank you for thanking us. He was saying thanks for defining a syndicate because he he's not familiar with the terms, and most yeah. people aren't. If you're not look, if you're not in Silicon Valley, you're not in the venture space, you don't really need to know what it is yet, you know. But but now that that we have one, it's like we want people to know that it is this just in time fund that pops up per each deal, and it runs yep. through AngelList. You know, you can Google AngelList syndicates because it's a a a. Um, what do you call it? It's a product, right? It's just a, a special purpose vehicle that um, if, if, a, if a tiny seed company comes to us or an outside company, we vet them and then we say, you know, hey, this is a deal. They're doing this much ARR. They want to raise it this this much at this valuation. And then we email it to the syndicate. I mean, the syndicate really is an email list of accredited investors. Um, yeah. And the minimums are a lot lower than, you know, investing in a fund and you get to pick, you know, which deals um, you get it on. So Bertram's question from YouTube, he says, I'm curious if you guys think bootstrapping is still viable in a world with so much VC funding, driving up what end users expect in the MVP. And absolutely. I mean, so VC has been flooding into this space for a decade. And if you look at the amount going in, it's just more and more and more. There are still thousands, if not tens of thousands of successful bootstrappers, right? Whether they're bootstrapping to the amazing, you know, quarter million dollar a year, crazy lifestyle business that you work 10 hours a week, or whether you you don't get more ambitious and you want to build a seven or eight figure business. Absolutely. Or nine or 10. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you get a little carried away, but yeah. <laughs> hey, Mailchimp is pretty much bootstrapping. I know. What was, uh, what was it? $12 billion? Yep. Yep. No. So that, yeah, that, and that's why, look, if Bertrams, it's a great question. If bootstrapping wasn't still viable, then startups for the rest of us in microconf would stop talking about it because we would say, well, I guess that show's over. You now need to raise funding, which I, I never say, and I, I've, I've never said, and I don't ever expect to say because bootstrappers will always have some unique advantages over folks who raise buckets of money, right? Sure. Um, and then, of course, there's this in between. It's this indie funding or this tiny seed like funding where you're going to raise a small amount. But, you know, I hear venture cap, I heard a venture capitalist say, oh, that, that company, X, company XYZ, they only raised like 800,000. They're basically bootstrapped. Like in their view, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a bootstrapped company. And to us, we think, oh, you raise a hundred grand, you're no longer bootstrapped. It's like, no, you're, you're pretty much still bootstrapped. Like pretty you're much. still capital efficient. You can do one hire and spend a few dollars on AdWords, but it's night and day compared to, um, you know, someone who raises 10 million, hundred million or whatever. And that's why I call it like bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped, right? Or indie, indie SaaS or indie funding. Bootstrap-ish, like these are all the terms because you go to microconf, I mean, for years, even before Tiny Seed and all this, and about, it was usually about 10, 15% of attendees, I felt like had raised some funding and I actually think the number is yep. a little, little higher than that, but I it just, probably so, yeah. you know, it just wasn't as prominent. 
maybe some folks, I think it, there was maybe a stigma to it too, at a certain point that I think is really going away, you know? Yeah, I think so. So, so yeah, it's that's just a, a de-risking thing for me. It's like, yeah, like, you know, some of them well, talk to some of the most purest, like bootstrapped or death people. Like when you dig in a little bit, it's like, oh yeah, that's because like your, your wife is, or your husband is a doctor and pays all the bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> or like your family is super wealthy. So it doesn't matter. You, you basically fund, you bootstrap, you funded yourself with, yep. with savings from your family. Yep. Which is, you know, not everyone can do that, or which is you, essentially the key of the time you think. Right. Or you had maybe a prior exit or you had a prior business that was throwing off cash or, you know, like MailChimp was never the bootstrap or die, but how did they bootstrap MailChimp? They had a whole design agency, a web agency. Yeah. They were really good at it. Um, or they took a bunch of cash off the table early, like Basecamp. Didn't they each, they each got low seven figures from Bezos, I believe is what Jason Fried so, said. Yeah. And so they can, once you have a million dollars in your bank account, why not bootstrap? You know what I mean? I mean, you've, you've de-risked it. Um, in addition, I, I see the like tiny, whether it's tiny seed funding or f small amounts of funding that a lot of um, indie founders are, are raising. It's not just de-risking. It's actually, it helps you get there faster with less stress, right? Because sure. if you have a quarter million in the bank, 350, 400,000, you can hire out more, so you're doing less of the grunt work yourself. You can move faster because you you know you can bring a few more. And that's sometimes sometimes on the tiny seed side, like on the tiny seed fund side, like the accelerator. That's sometimes what we have to remind people. Like the goal here isn't to have exactly the same amount of money in the bank as when when we funded you. Like right. there's some things like you know if you can hire a, a VA to do the job for you at 15 bucks an hour, then probably do that. Right. You know this isn't the highest leverage job for you. Right. Um, another question, what is the upside for tiny seed? So obviously the, the question is like, how does tiny seed make money by starting yeah. a syndicate? Yeah. So we, I mean, it's, it's, it's worthwhile understanding how investors, VCs in general, you know, make money. Um, and the standard, a standard VC investment is a fund is like a two, what's called a two and 20 fund. And what that means is that we take the, the partnership takes, uh, 2% of funds under management every year as a fee and that we use for salaries and paying for retreats and, and you know, sponsoring microconf through uh, COVID. Um, and then, but for, for the syndicate, it's sort of similar in that we don't take like a 2% fee, but we do take the carry. We take the 20%. So what happens is if you're an investor, you put, you know, $10,000 in or whatever, then, you know, we invest in the deal. If that deal goes well, you first get your money back. And then after you've gotten your money back, uh, we take, you know, a, a percent carry, uh, you know, percent of the profit, percent of the profit. Above, above, uh, above what you invested. Right. And the standard is 20%. And that's what, Correct. so it's yeah. only on profit though. Investor get their money back. And then if they got another 10,000, then Tiny Seed would get 2,000 and they would Correct. get eight, another 10, similar, it's split that way. Yeah. Um, and then our Tiny Seed, accelerator investors or limited partners there get a uh, discount on that. Yeah. So and, like, and just on top of that, of course, too, is like, it's, it's helpful for tiny seed, you know, the partnership that are for the, for the tiny seed portfolio companies that do want to raise money that we have more investors who, who get to see those kind of deals and they have better deals. Right. So, I mean, we'll, we're going to keep going because we have another, you know, 10, 12 minutes. We do have another question. Um, but I did want to say if you're, if you're watching this and you're an accredited investor who is interested in, or might be interested in getting exposure to early stage B2B SaaS companies, um, that are going to raise through tiny seed accelerator or the syndicate head to tinyseed.com slash invest. You can fill out your info, uh, and we'll reach out. And then if you're a founder, who, um, obviously, you, you know, if, if you're interested in the accelerator, tinyc.com slash apply. And if you're interested, you know, you think it might be a fit to sell some secondary, meaning you're further along, let's say you're a million dollars ARR or higher, 
tinyc.com slash apply. And you, we have a short application form there. And we'll yeah. and, it, and it's not just like, just not just secondary. It can be a combination of stuff. Like if you, yes. you could just want to raise, you know, 2 million bucks, 3 million bucks to, to grow as fast as you can. That's also fine. Or you could do a combination in which case you're like, you know what? I'd like to raise a million or two or 500,000 for growth and put 250 in my pocket. Like we can work with different kinds of structures depending on your situation. And that's the beauty of a syndicate is that it has more flexibility than raising a, a fund with a focus, you know? That's true. But, but it also means like we don't, you don't just have to convince us. <laughs> that's right. Like you have to convince the investors behind it because we're really like we're facilitating it, putting it together. We're doing some vetting. Like we're, we'll probably guide you on like, you know, for example, if you come to us and say, hey, I have, you know, 50,000 MRR and I want to raise it a hundred million dollar valuation, we're probably going to be like, yeah, I don't know. Might not work. <laughs> so we can, yeah, no, yeah. I don't think that's going to work. Not with our investor. Right. And so when, yeah, when you pitch the, you know, the syndicate, it's like up to each individual investor in the syndicate to decide whether to invest or not. So it really is you bring in, you bring in your best deal. Yep. We have a question from Gezim from YouTube, and he he's also in MicroConf on air, but he's asking on YouTube. He says, what's a rolling fund? And rolling fund is, is different from a syndicate, but yeah, yeah you want to help folks understand what that is? Yeah, so as, as a rolling fund is, it, technically speaking, it's actually, uh, well, so it was particularly in the way AngelList talks about it, which is the people who came up with it first, it's basically just a series of funds one after the other. So it's just a new mechanism for you to be an investor into a fund. So with a rolling fund, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to commit $100,000 to this fund and it'll, it'll get deployed over three years, um, it's basically say, okay, I want to invest you know, $25,000 per quarter. And then every quarter you, you basically are committed to invest that amount. It, it, it's... It's less. It's more similar to a, a classical like venture fund than a syndicate is. Like a, a rolling fund really is just a way in in which typically like emerging managers, smaller funds can get started, and like not have to raise twenty five million dollars or ten million dollars before they start deploying. It's like once you get a first couple of commits, you can start investing straight away. Um, so it's it's more of like a, a a different way to structure a fund than it is a syndicate. Whereas a syndicate is much more like an investment club. It's like okay, here's a group of hundreds of investors. They're all aligned, you know, with a tiny seed microconf ethos, and they want to invest in deals like what we see. But when we present a deal to them, then you know it's up to them to decide. Versus in a rolling fund or a traditional fund, really you, you as an investor don't have a, a say in the specific picks that go into the fund. Right. And we talked to one attorney, I believe, who said that rolling funds are are usually for, early, like you said, emerging managers. It's earlier stage, smaller funds. Often when someone is doing it as a side thing, like it's not yeah. their main thing. Um, but if you're going to raise, I mean, like with Tiny Seed, we've you know, raised, again, north of 40 million. That wouldn't make sense for uh for a rolling fund i mean you know it, it might do but like for us like the the difficulty ends up being you know we plan like accelerators like we hire people to run the accelerators we need to be able to have some you know visibility into like two years from now what's this going to look like how do we scale this the thing about rolling funds is as a as a partner you could be like okay can i really guarantee that these same people are going to be putting the same amount of money or more money in next year 
um, and and it's harder to do things like hiring for for a rolling fund and, and really scaling it. I think, and it also it, honestly, I, it, I don't know if this is true anymore, but it used to be a lot more expensive on the on the management side because you're effectively having to set up. Like technically, what's going on is you're putting a I don't know if this turned into the rolling fund show, but technically you're creating a separate fund every quarter. So you have to register with the SEC, do the thing like every single quarter, like an angel list or whatever. They they do they they do that part for you, uh, but you end up. Um, you end up with quite an expensive an expensive structure, and that's an uh, an expense that gets carried by the investors. We're going to cover our Scout program in a second, but we have another question. It's from Simon in MicroConf Connect. He says, "What kind of vetting is Tiny Seed planning to do for syndicate candidates?" So you should just start up front. You should definitely do your own diligence, you know, upfront. Um, but we As will be looking at things like, you know, obviously like the background of the people involved, um, you know, whether we'll be looking at financials and things, I think it depends a little on the structure. Like if someone is doing like a, an acquisition financing with debt and things, we'd probably take a look at that and make sure that, that that's all, you know, in order. Um, but it'll definitely vary deal by deal. Um, mostly I would say for like, for, for growth type investments, more traditional venture investments, the DD will probably be light. For things like acquisitions and secondary, we're probably going to do a little bit more diligence. But in, in general, like that should be part of your investment decision when you come in. Like, what is the risk involved with with this person or this uh, this investment? And today we're also announcing, along with the syndicate, we're announcing the Tiny Seed Scout program. That's right. Um, Maybe there should be an NFT for the Scout program. There definitely should, huh? We should issue it, and then <laughs> I think if you, so. Yeah. So you want to you want to talk about? I mean, Scout programs have been around for 20, 30 years, right? With venture capitalists. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the most famous one is probably uh, Sequoia. I don't know, twenty, thirty years. But basically, what it is is just you know, you know, if you if you are even if you're an investor, even if you're not, like certainly, like if you if it fit if this is fit for you and your company, then just get in touch. But if you know somebody who are like you know this this will be a good fit, and you make an introduction to us, and we make that we make an investment. Uh, in that company, and and you're the first person to um, to to tell us about this company, then we will give you basically ten percent of whatever we make on the deal, um, which is the scout program. Very cool. We have another question. What are some of the main differences between the accelerator program and the syndicate from a founder's perspective? So I'll say that the accelerator is aimed at. It's all B2B SaaS, but the accelerator is aimed at earlier stage companies, say, yep. you know, one or 2,000 MRR up to, we've had folks as high as 100K a month join, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, one to 30, one to 50. I mean, there, there's a range in there. And the accelerator program is a year long. It has curriculum. It has masterminds. It has access to the mentors, access to our Slack channel, retreats. access to ANR and I, in-person retreats. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch that goes with that. The... Syndicate is more like traditional funding where there's not a program, there's not the mentors, there's not the retreats. It's, it's access to investors um, and you need to be later stage. You can't be doing five grand a month and apply to the syndicate. Well, you could apply, but you're not going to get into the syndicate. You have to have more traction. And the number you and I have been throwing around is like, I think at about a million ARR, it makes sense. Maybe a little less, but I mean, if you're at I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Like, yeah. I think if you're coming in and you're doing like 500,000, 750, and you're looking just I to hear. raise money for growth and you're growing fast, you just, you know, then then I think it makes sense. If you're looking to do like a secondary, 
you know, you're taking money off the table, then it's, I think you need to be at least a million in order for that to make sense uh, for, uh, I, well, in, I think in terms, in terms of, in, uh, you know, enticing our investors, you probably need to be at a larger, later stage. Right. So I think the majority, I mean, you know, just the, the way the funnel of, um, I always use this analogy, but it's like the 80, 20 of startup founders is there are a lot more people at early stage, you know, who aren't making it to later stage. So I think most people watching this, the accelerator will be a fit for you, but there are the folks who are at that 500,000 a year, million a year who, who may have to choose, you know, at 500,000 a year, what is that? 42, yeah. four, you know, 41, six, that is actually still in the sweet spot for tiny seed. We've had yeah. a dozen companies around that AR, at that ARR, I'm sorry, at that uh -huh. ARR higher. Probably about half a dozen. I don't know half a dozen. dozen. I think more than that. Anyways, really? let's say nine. Let's split the difference. Um, okay, but whatever, you know, it's like, and and those companies will will basically get to decide. It's like, do I want the tiny seed playbook, the mentors um, at at the accelerator valuation, right? The accelerator valuation range is is going to be lower almost inevitably. Yeah, than, it's one know, to three million. That's what we invest at. We don't right. invest. We don't throw like. 15, 20 million dollar valuations. Yeah. Right. Versus the syndicate, they can, you can raise at a higher valuation um, and then you have. Yeah. And there's a trade off there, right? Like if you come along, and like I say, if you come along and you want to raise at 25 million, 30 million, 100 million, then that's going to be more challenging. You have to have better metrics for sure. Right. Good, good LTV, high MRR and, and good growth. Definitely good growth. It looks like we have another question coming up before we get there. I just want to remind you. So if you're an accredited investor and this sounds interesting, um, you know, you can apply for this. And the cool part about a syndicate is you then get to decide deal by deal if you want to participate. And the minimums per deal tend to be rather low in the, I keep saying, in the single digit thousands per deal. So that's tinyc.com slash invest. Um, if you're interested. And then for founders, tinyc.com slash apply. And that of course gets you to the accelerator and the and the syndicate. They're all yeah, and we'll we'll page. put up um we'll put up something at some point about the scout program. But for now you should just just email me about that. Anar at tinyc.com. Anar E-I-N-A-R at tinyc.com. Oh, we got two questions popping in. Uh Lee from YouTube. Hey, thanks for posting your question. I heard that you asked, we were trying to ask it in our Twitter space this morning and I missed it. So I'm, I'm glad that you asked this. Lee says, can you say a little more about deal sourcing outside of scouts? Uh, I guess deal sourcing, um, it's going to be folks who hear about us through things like this live stream through podcast. Yeah, interviews, I mean, you know? so the reason we're doing this in the in the first place is because we already have deals coming in that don't fit the tiny seed that we think our investors will be interested in. Right. So like, we're not planning on doing like a whole sing the dance and pony show and things. It's just like, we have deal flow already that that sort of is outside the key or the core tiny seed fund thesis, but we think our investors will be interested in. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's, I, I don't, I'm not planning to do a whole roadshow or anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't, yeah, we haven't traditionally done that and haven't needed to. Uh, second part of her question, do you foresee the syndicate offering convertible notes as an alternative to traditional bank gap loans, or will this look like standard seed slash angel investing? And so it's entirely up to, so, so with the syndicate, like we would look at different kinds of deals and, and different kinds of structures. And it's really up to you as the founder of what you want to do. If you want to raise, and, and, like, and like a lot of the time, what happens in these situations is you already have some investors. Like you're, you're looking to raise a million and a half and you have $500,000 committed and that might be on certain terms. And you just say, I want to 
fill out the rest of the round on those terms and it's the that sort of take it or leave it so really it's up to you what kind of deal you want to do like you know i i can imagine us doing convertible notes i can imagine us doing safes i can imagine us doing you know price rounds uh, i can imagine us doing you know more search fund type deals where there's a preferred return and then a profit share on sale blah 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 but that's really up to you can get creative with it. Uh, last question for today, unless one sneaks in under the wire. It's Ryan from YouTube. He says, hey, Robin Anar, AngelList has an application. Uh, that's right, because we're running the syndicate through yep. AngelList, tinyc.com slash syndicate to get there. AngelList has an application, and it looks like it requires prior startup experience to participate in any AngelList syndicate, including TinySeed. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, so they're they're changing that slightly, and it's basically like it's um, so in order to be uh, an investor on time on AngelList, you need to be accredited. So that's pretty much what they're trying to like capture, because they can't have non-accredited investors on the platform, and, and we can't accept non-accredited investors. So you don't really need it required prior startup experience. That's I think is erroneous. You need to be an accredited investor, and I think a lot of the time. Um, you will need to, to prove that to to AngelList. Um, I, I think we're working on uh, on a solution like if you come in, uh, you know, you you'll get you bypass that link if you can prove that you're an accredited investor. But that's essentially what they're trying to do. They don't need you to have been like a startup Silicon Valley software engineer or anything. Uh, but there is a definitely a hurdle in terms of um, being accredited. Right. And accredited, if you haven't heard that term or are familiar with it, I will briefly define it, but you'll have to, it's not legal advice, right? But it, in the US, it's if you have $1 million or more in liquid net worth um, or investments that are not, did not include your primary residence, or you made more than $200,000 a year for the past two years and expect to make that in the, you know, in the next year. And if you're married and then it's 300 grand. So it's, it's a wealth, they set it up in the thirties to keep people from getting scammed after the depression started. Um, it's an outdated mode because there's a lot of people with a million dollars who aren't not knowledgeable about investments. And there's a lot of people, I know startup founders with a hundred grand in the bank who know way more about investing in startups yeah, than, yeah. right than the dentist with 2 million in the bank. So it's, yeah. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it is the law in the U S and to set up a fund, you have to, um, you do have to live by that. Yeah, and they, they actually changed it. The, the SEC changed the, the definition of accredited investors um, this year, early this year, early last year, uh, late last year. And it, you know, there are some hacks around it now, like take a certain kind of serious so-and-so exam and you can you can become an accredited investor. But that's sort of the, the gist of it. Um, I do wish AngelList would make that a little clearer when new people come in, that this is yeah. actually like a, an accredited investor thing rather than like requiring startup experience. I think that's a... Right. Stupid nomenclature. I'll complain. Yep, yep. <laughs> Last question before we wrap up. Um, one to $3 million valuations for the accelerator companies seems super low for U.S. companies. Or am I just drinking the VC Kool-Aid to believe that? So accelerator valuations, whether it's Y Combinator, 500 startups, they're... They are in that range. Like if you do the math yeah. on the, you know, what does YC do? A hundred percent, a hundred thousand for seven percent or something. I mean, it's like a, yeah, something like that. One hundred and twenty, so, one hundred and fifty. So yeah, no, yeah, you are drinking the VC Kool Aid, my friend. Yep, that's what that's what accelerator valuations are. But even the VC accelerators, that's the range they invest at. They, yeah, you, know, you don't get sure. a five million dollar valuation going to one hundred or five hundred. Really, it, it boils down the thing about valuations, and this is one of my bugbears. It's like people don't seem people seem to think that there is an a, a, a correlation between you know success and also like there's nothing but good the higher the valuations go the problem with with that way of thinking is like 
okay, if you're raising at a 25 million valuation before you even have a product, then you close the door on a lot of different kinds of outcomes for you. So if, if you're raising a $25 million valuation, the chances that your investors will let you sell if someone can says, hey, here's, you know, here's 30 million bucks cash for the whole business. You won't be able to do that most of the time, at least with investors who know what they're doing. And, and really what happens with higher valuations is that you basically close your optionality for, for outcomes that may still be very good for you. Because your investors are like, well, I'm not excited about you making, you know, 10% of my investment because this is a high risk investment. I need to make more than that. In addition, I have seen, personally seen founders raise at an enormous valuation because it was like, well, they're valuing it at $15 million. I only have 20K a month in MRR. I only have to sell 7% of my company. This is great. Well, then they burned through the money. They're at 100K or 50K MRR. They can't raise above. They they still haven't gotten to a $15 million valuation. So now they have to do a down round. I mean, it's raising yep. too high is actually a problem if you're raising ahead of your skis. So yep. um, another another question snuck in, man. I'm going to keep rolling with this. Do it. How do I become a scout? Yeah, email me, basically. Like, don't just email me and say, hey, I want to be a scout. That's fine. But like, if you actually have a deal, um, you know, then go to just email me at the moment and say, Hey, here's the deal. I think you should look at, can I make the intro? Um, I think we'll end up putting up, you know, tinyseed.com slash scout, but I we haven't will. told Tracy that already. So that's yeah. not live. Yeah. Given that the life of this YouTube video, this video on YouTube will be, you know, many months slash years. Uh, my guess is within a week of today, maybe even a few days, tinyseed.com slash scout will have whatever an application or, or a way to contact us. But yeah, Aynard at tinyseed.com. Yeah, and we'll think about that NFT. <laughs> yep. Yes, indeed. All right, sir. Thank you so much for joining me. You are Anar Volset on Twitter, V-O-L-L-S-E-T. Obviously, your email is up on the screen. Thanks, everybody, for hanging with us today. Anar? Take it easy. Thanks for having folks? me. Awesome. Yeah, All right. So as I mentioned earlier, this is our last show until the new year. So we'll see you again in about a month. I wanted to let you know that MicroConf Europe videos, the MicroConf Europe we just ran, what, two months ago, month or two ago in Croatia, those are now uh, available for sale. You can head to microconfeurope.com. You can buy 11 talks with videos for $50. And it includes talks by me. It's one of the better talks I've done probably in my career. It's about pricing, about not only just about raising prices, but about expansion revenue and the intricacies, second order effects, and then how to raise prices. I'm really proud of that one. And uh, if you've heard of Veed.io, um, Saba is the co-founder of that, and he did a, a great talk about growing his company. As always, thank you to Hay and Stripe. They are our headline partners uh, for the past couple years and, and heading forward into 2022. And they make things like MicroConf on air possible, right? Their, their sponsorship allows us to pay for the software and pay uh, you know, for producers Andrew and I to, uh, to do this every other week. MicroConfEurope.com for the videos. MicroConf on air. I'll see you in about a month. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Bye.